This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Joining us today on the COVID report to talk about COVID-19 in children and the dynamics of infection in families. We are joined at this time by Dr. Marlon McKay. Uh, Doctor, can you first please give us an overview of common viral infections in children according to their age groups and the treatments required to clear the viral infections? And if you could also explain how COVID-19 is different from these common viruses. Okay, so... We know that there are a whole host of uh, viral infections that, uh, that kids get, ranging from other groups of coronaviruses, the adenovirus, the rhinovirus, and all these viruses, um, we tend to group them together and we call them the common cold viruses or the viruses that are responsible for the common cold. And essentially, these give kids the, the three main symptoms of runny nose or blocked nose, cough, and a sore throat. And most of these are uh, what he calls uh, uh, mild illnesses, self-limiting illnesses. They tend to go away on their own. The other, of course, major virus is the influenza virus, um, which is a seasonal flu, as you know, will happen around about this time as we are in the middle of winter. Um, now, the main issue, as you mentioned, with, uh, in terms of treatment, viral infections are caused by all these different viruses. And because we don't have many antibodies and there's no vaccines against, and, uh, against most of the viruses besides the flu vaccine, there is no specific treatment. So there's no one treatment that one can give that will stop it. And unfortunately, my colleagues, uh, doctors, um, make the mistake, a grave error of dispensing and, or prescribing antibiotics for these viral illnesses, mistaking them for bacterial infections or this scenario of just in case. The treatment for all these viruses are what we call symptomatic treatment. So if the nose is blocked, we give something to unblock the nose. If there's a runny nose, we give something to stop the runny nose. And for a cough, we may give a cough mixture. Um, and, some, and we give an antipyretic for, for fever and something for pain and headaches. All right? So that's really the approach to, to, to viruses. And these viruses are rife amongst kids, especially with winter. Um, closed spaces, windows are closed, kids are very social, so they're playing and hugging and kissing, and, uh, and, uh, and then one kid, an index kid, can spread it diffusely throughout a whole school or crash or whatever the case is. However, the difference with, with, uh, with SARS-CoV-2, or, or this version of the coronavirus, is unique in that it does not affect children in the way that the other respiratory viruses affect them. Um, and, and, and this is obviously uh, uh, um, something that has surprised us because we know that these respiratory viruses are very, very common in kids. We don't really know why, but there are some scientific, plausible scientific uh, uh, explanations and studies. One is that maybe it's because children already have so many viral, concomitant viral infections going on that they, they, they kind of don't get COVID to, to the degree that adults get. But I think the more scientific explanation has, has, uh, is uh, with regard to the expression of a certain receptor. So in order for you to become infected with COVID-19, you need to have a receptor called the ACE2 receptor, ACE2, ACE2 receptor. Now, this receptor is expressed more vividly in adults compared to kids. Hence, coronavirus is so rife amongst adults compared to children. So because children don't have much expression of the ACE2 receptor, the virus is uh, much less 
in children and also kids tend to get a much uh, a milder course of illness compared to adults. I hope that sums, kind of sums it up. Very informative, Doctor. But now please break down the myths and the facts of COVID-19 in children. So we've heard many, we know many, but please do share which are actually true. Okay, I think the, the, for me, the, the biggest issue in terms of myths and facts and fiction is this issue of school and kids. Now, last night, our president um, announced the closure of, of public schools. Now, as, as medical doctors and as, uh, as from the scientific community, unfortunately, um, we don't think that is a good idea for children, okay? Because if you take what I've just said about kids and the expression of the ACE2 receptor and the prevalence of, 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 uh, of COVID amongst kids, kids do not spread COVID. Kids do get COVID-19, but they are not the super spreaders. When they do get it, they get it mild. Kids will not bring the disease home and infect mom and dad and granny and grandpa. Kids do not die from COVID. Yes, one or two have, but the percentage is minute. Kids do not land up in ICU. Kids do not pass the disease on to others, okay? So this whole thing about school and, and, and COVID, obviously in, in South Africa, the other problem is the teachers and the school system and the washing of hands. But I'm talking from a medical point of view about kids alone. Kids need to be at school. And with kids being at school, it does not impact or make the, this pandemic any worse. We are hurting kids more by keeping them at home. Kids need to be out and about and with other kids. Kids from well-off homes are getting fat and kids from poor homes are going hungry because of this pandemic. And I think that's, for me, that's a major myth uh, um, around, around, around um, kids and COVID-19. So, Doctor, in latching on to what you've just said about the, the undeniable scientific fact that children can't die from this virus. Sorry, I, what I meant to say is that I'm saying in general compared to adults, kids don't really die from COVID. Let me just clarify that. Otherwise, I may get shot down. Because tonight someone dies. So kids in general do not land up in ICU and they do not die. But some kids have. There's about three, or three kids in South Africa that have died. Sorry to interrupt you. Thank you very much for clarifying. So in the face of that, when we consider the children who suffer from severe underlying conditions, are there diseases in children that make them susceptible to being infected with COVID-19 and possibly unfortunately, passing away from the virus? Yeah, so that's, that's a very nice question. Very good question. So contrary to, to a lot of uh, um, parents and, and fears that we see, one of the most common, one of the biggest misconceptions is this whole issue of kids and asthma. Okay, oh, my child is asthmatic. I will not go to school. Now, it's very interesting that a lot of the data has shown that, that asthma does not make, seem to uh, um, make the risk of COVID-19 any worse. Let me just take a quick step back just to clarify again. Remember, we are all equally at risk of getting COVID-19 because it's a novel virus and we have not been exposed to it before. The problem comes in is that once we are exposed, are we at higher, are there certain people who are at high risk of getting more severe disease and maybe in fact even dying? Now, what the data does show amongst kids is 
the relationship between type 1 diabetes and COVID-19. They are more vulnerable compared to kids without type 1 diabetes. Um, asthma and allergies does not seem to be a major problem. Kids and uh, um, cancer, if, if they act, have active cancer or on chemotherapy, that's a problem. And kids with any disease that suppresses the immune system, okay, such as uh, HIV, um, especially when they are not on treatment or the treatment has been failing, kids with TB, active TB, and, uh, and, and those who are on medication that tend to suppress the immune system. And that small majority, small minority of kids who, have, who fall into that category, yes, are at risk of more serious illness. But as you can see, those sorts of conditions do make up a small proportion of the, of the pediatric population. And therefore, this is why I can make a generalized statement to say, in general, kids don't get too ill and don't die from COVID. Now, Doctor, earlier on you mentioned some of the reasons why children do not seem to be getting affected at the same rate that adults are. And this has been a surprising aspect of this pandemic, that children aren't or don't appear to be infected by severe acute respiratory syndrome or coronavirus too, the virus that causes COVID-19 far less frequently than adults. And when affected, they have milder symptoms, as you said. But what is some of the medical explanations behind this? It's due to the expression of the ACE2 receptor, that kids do not express this, this uh, receptor as much as adults do. That is about the, only, the most scientific explanation that we have at this point in time. Um, and as I mentioned too, that the other plausible explanation is probably because kids have so many other viral infections going on at the same time. That's why kids are full of these runny noses, snotty noses during winter and the allergies. So that seems to be a little bit protective uh, for them in terms of SARS-CoV-2. But the, the most likely explanation is because of the expression of the ACE2 receptor. The more receptors you have, the greater your uh, chance of getting COVID. The less you have, which is in the case of kids, therefore they don't get uh, COVID-19 as often as, as adults do, which impacts the, 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 also the mildness of the disease. And so, in fact, with kids, you, you find it get, get very mild. I, I don't do many tests on kids just for that same reason. It's just like having a cold. They really just have a cold. There is a simple syrup, uh, something with uh, paracetamol in there, something for the nose. Um, many of them don't even have symptoms. You know, that's how mild they get it. So it's really, it doesn't, it doesn't bother us too much in terms, of, in terms of their health. So considering how mild the symptoms are, as you've just stated, are children asymptomatic to this virus? And to what extent are children responsible for COVID-19 transmission should they be infected? Okay, so let me say, say again. So when, as with all of us, we're all equally at risk, we can get it. Most patients, even adults, will get mild infection. And there are some with those comorbid conditions who can get more severe infection. What we do find in kids is that most of them have a very, very mild self-limiting. Bit of a runny tummy, snotty nose, may have a cough, bit of a fever, nothing that is, is drastic. Mom or dad can just manage it with symptomatic treatment. Some kids, as with adults, can also have an asymptomatic infection. So asymptomatic means they do not develop any symptoms. So we may not even know that they had the virus, that they were even positive for, for SARS-CoV-2. That's how, that's, that's how it can be, asymptomatic. Um, and and because they're viral load, the amount of virus that they're actually carrying is much lower compared to an adult, 
they therefore have a milder infection. And because of that, they are not the spreaders. Of the, they are not the primary spreaders. So if you find a kid who is to test positive with COVID-19, this is a very important point. If, if a child gets diagnosed with COVID-19, usually at school, because they're having a, running a temperature and they get sent home, that child inevitably, if you do the genetics and you trace the, 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 the DNA as were backwards, that child most likely got it from the home, from mom or dad, okay? So the index case can always, almost always be traced back to the home. So the kids get it in the home. They don't get it in school. They don't bring it home from school. They get it from one of the parents and then uh, um, they get a mild illness. And I just keep them at home with the parents and they get better, you know? It's a really, really a mild illness uh, um, amongst the children. And that's really how it works. Now, on the 24th of June, the Department of Health reported three deaths of children aged between zero and nine years of age. These children had tested positive for COVID-19, but also had other underlying conditions such as blood cancer, severe heart problem, and multiple metabolic pathologies. How was COVID-19 ruled out as a primary cause of death in cases such as these? So I always answer that by asking this question. If it wasn't for COVID, would they have died? You see, um, at the, at, you know, it's, it's, it's different if someone dies in a, in a car accident, okay? And then as a result of it, during the post-mortem, they find that the person has COVID-19. So in that case, you can see that COVID-19 had nothing to do with the, with the motor vehicle accident. However, in these cases, you ask the question, at the time of death, right, what had actually happened? So these are patients, for instance, I'll take the example, say, of a cardiovascular disorder. So they have a heart problem. They get infected with COVID-19. Because of the associated comorbidity, their COVID infection is much worse, has more complications than it would have happened if they did not have the heart condition. And then to the extent of this heart condition and the COVID infection, that they die, right? But they would not have died if they did not get the COVID-19. And therefore, it is a COVID-related death Okay, because as a result of the COVID infection, it put a strain on the lungs, which then put a strain on the heart. The heart couldn't cope, heart failed, and so they died. So COVID still caused the death, even though they had an underlying problem. It is a COVID death or COVID-related death, and that's how we need to look at it scientifically. Now, a lot of ECDs and different education organizations have been fighting with the government wanting children back in schools, which is even more interesting considering the president's most recent address. What have you made about all of this? And in your medical expert opinion, are children safer on school premises? Yes, as I alluded to, I think this is, um, as, as with a lot of the president's announcements, unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of decisions have been based more as a result of pressure um, from polit- either political organizations or unions than based on, on, on good science, okay? And one example, I, I'm a pastor as well, one example was when they decided to open churches, even though they were just allowing 50 people. That was not a good scientific decision. It may have made sense to keep a lot of pastors and church denominations happy, but it doesn't make sense um, scientifically because the highest risk of transmission is within closed spaces, right? Funerals, church services, indoor bars, indoor house parties. 
This is where the highest risk of transmission takes place. So I, for one, did not open my church, even though I could have from the rest of June. And I know many pastors who have been, who have died and have had to be buried because of COVID death, purely because they've opened their church. So, so, so that decision was not a scientific decision. The decision to close schools, I believe, does not make sense medically or scientifically because we are doing more harm to kids by keeping them at home when they should be at school, especially knowing that kids do not spread COVID-19, especially knowing that kids are not going to bring the disease home to their families or to their moms and dads or to their grandparents. And then for the, from the socioeconomic point of view, um, yes, our president did make, uh, did allude to the fact that uh, food parcels, I think it was, that would still be available at some of the schools. But the bottom line is that kids are going hungry by not being at school. Who takes care of the kids now that the parents have to work if the kids are not at school? Now, considering that children are not necessarily affected by COVID-19 in the same way that adults are, if a parent or guardian has tested positive, can they be completely comfortable that they won't infect their children or there are stringent safety measures that they should follow to ensure that their children do not get infected? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think it's important to state that just because we know, just because it is a fact that kids don't get COVID that badly and they don't get so sick, I don't think it's a license to break rules. So the rules will still apply. If a parent tests positive for COVID, that parent must go into isolation, which means that parent must be on their own in a room alone for the next, it used to be 14 days, it's now 10 days, for the next 10 days, starting back from the date of the first day of their symptoms. That is very important. Now, you may ask me, but what if it's a mom who is breastfeeding? Yes, that may change things a little bit. But by and large, you want to keep your kids away from the person who is infected, even though they may only get a mild. You still don't want to take a chance. So even though kids are supposed to have a mild illness, who knows, one particular kid in that home may get it badly. So I still advise that the rules must apply. That particular parent who's tested positive must isolate on their own and, um, and wait without uh, making any direct contact with any of the kids in the home. Now, doctor, for the children who haven't had consistent immunizations, what are the risks of illnesses that befall these children? And is it also possible for a five-year-old, for example, to catch up with the immunization schedule that was supposed to be followed from when they were less than a year old? Oh, this is, that's such an excellent question. I'm so glad you raised that. You know, one of the, one of the um, problems or the after effects of this COVID-19 pandemic is that there are so many things that have been neglected. And one of the things is the childhood immunization schedule. Parents are scared to, to take their kids to the clinic because they may get something. The clinics themselves may have reprioritized and, and put uh, COVID-19 at the top of the agenda without uh, uh, and putting the immunization one side. So I cannot emphasize enough the importance of not neglecting your child's immunization schedule. Um, and even though in the midst of the, the pandemic, the kids need it. You can imagine a kid who has active measles infection and then being exposed to COVID-19. That is an immune suppressed condition that kid can, can die. So, so I can't emphasize enough the importance of, of keeping up with the schedule. And as you rightly mentioned, if some of the vaccines have, uh, have been missed because of, of the pandemic or because of the lockdown, especially, especially that initial lockdown, please parents must be encouraged to get the kids back to the clinics and 
um, for those vaccines to be caught up with. We have to, we have, to have the vaccines up to, up to schedule because what's going to happen in the midst of COVID, we may well get outbreaks of either things like chickenpox or, or measles, uh, which can be catastrophic for kids, pneumonias, especially now with winter. So I'm so glad you raised that. The, the bottom line is um, um, our, our health services have been, have been uh, um, pushed to the extreme. They are under severe pressure, but they are making every effort so that no child gets left out. And the same applies for those on chronic medication, the HIV medication, everything else that goes with it. You don't want anyone to be left behind or get lost within this pandemic. And please, effort must be made either to catch up or to keep on with the vaccine schedule. You must go out at all costs and make sure that those vaccines are given. Thank you for that. Now, doctor, do antibiotics keep viral infections from being contagious? And what are some of the side effects of antibiotics in children? And when should antibiotics be rightfully prescribed? Thank you for that. Such a good question. And one of my, one of my um, uh, pet peeves is, is this issue of doctor. Well, one is parents insisting that antibiotics need to be given to my child to prevent pneumonia or to prevent bronchitis or doctors willy-nilly prescribing it because they think the parents want it or because they're trying to prevent A, B, and C. Antibiotics are for viral, are for bacterial infections. Antibiotics, let me say that again, are for bacterial infections. Viral infections do not respond to antibiotics because antibiotics are for bacterial infections only. We do not have antiviral medication for viral infection. We only have symptomatic treatment except for influenza. Therefore, the danger of giving an antibiotic where it is not needed is a problem. And the major problem with that is this issue of antibiotic resistance. There are no new antibiotics coming through the pipelines with drug companies. And if we keep on handing out antibiotics like Smarties where they are not needed or not indicated, we will reach a point where the antibiotics that we do have no longer work. We will have rife such severe antibiotic resistance and this will lead to the emergence, if it hasn't already, of superbugs, and people will die from normal bacterial infections because the conventional antibiotics will no longer work. So we are saying with one voice, antibiotics do not work for viral infections, and there is no place for antibiotics in the management of COVID-19 or the common cold or influenza or any other viral infection for that matter. A doctor must have documented proof that there is a bacterial infection, such as a full blood count, a culture, something that has been sent off to the lab, but you cannot give an antibiotic if there is no proof that this child has a bacterial infection. And if I can make an appeal to parents, please change your doctors if these doctors willingly write out antibiotics for viral infections. I tell my, 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 my patients, who come to me if they've been from, at other doctors, they should ask, doctor, why are you giving me an antibiotic? Did you not say this is a cold or a flu? Where is the proof that my child deserves an antibiotic? Question doctors. Do not let them willy-nilly prescribe antibiotics if there is no proof that it is absolutely needed or indicated. How are children treated COVID-19? Or how is COVID-19 treated in a child? Are there any noteworthy differences between how um, a child will be treated versus how an adult will be treated? In children, COVID-19 is treated just like any other viral infection. If they're feverish, you give something for fever. 
If they have a runny nose, you give something for the nose. If they have a blocked nose, you give a nasal spray, a decongestant. If there's a cough, you give something for the cough. Um, you can steam them. You can give something for the mucus. No antibiotics. We do. I like to use uh, vitamins just as I use very high-dose vitamins in adults. I use them in a lower dose, usually in a syrup form, just to keep their immune systems boosted. But unfortunately, with COVID-19, whether it's adults or kids, there is no one single treatment that works. We don't know of any specific treatment yet. So the treatment is almost always just what we call supportive or symptomatic. Treat according to the symptoms. Kids will get better. That was Dr. Marlon McKay joining us here on the COVID report to unpack taking care of children when they fall victim to COVID-19. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or stream by www.vafm.co.za.